Uh. Uh, let's go, Brody. Here it is. The 15-0 Hold That Podcast Podcast Championship Edition. Um, all my dreams have come true. All of LSU fans' dreams have come true. The LSU football fighting tigers are your national champions. Uh, once again, it's it's just utterly insane. I still am like drinking it all in. Uh, we'll break it down throughout today. We'll also because just the nature of the beast, we we will look forward a bit. We'll talk about who's staying, who's going, coaching changes, what it means, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but but first, if you're listening, thanks for joining us. We're a couple days late because the crazy schedule lately. Uh, this is the hold that. Podcast, podcast. I'm T Bob Abear. He is Brody Miller of the Athletic. Brody, what's going on, man? I have a question. Yeah, you're not feeling too hot, T Bob, right? Uh, I feel great. Oh, oh, you because I'm like I'm literally chilly. Is that what you meant? Was I that like it sounded not- like you were getting a bit of a cold? No, no. I don't know, man. You were getting seemed like you were getting a fever. Are you doing this? Where's this bit going? Are you doing no, a was, bit here? No, I'm sorry. There was this wasn't meant to be a bit. I was, <laughs> I that sounded like a bit set up. It I really like, did. I thought like it okay, really I'm did. like okay. Where's the pun? Like <laughs> no, is it no. like is it? No, but I was like, going to ask. I was chilly earlier. I was going to ask if this was a result of you. Like how? What? Did, how did you celebrate Monday night? Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. So to be fair, um, <laughs> I so being the responsible adult that I am. Oh shit! I uh, did not party Monday night after the game. Huh. I left the. I guess you had to go on the show. I left the. Yeah. yeah, my we had to be back in Baton Rouge too, uh, by seven yeah. a.m. the next day. So, I left the dome at midnight. You know, I now I soaked in the field like post celebration. Yeah, there was all, actually like a video of you or like a, a photo that kind of like went around a little bit of you just like looking up at the confetti. Yeah, just, my guy uh, Scott Kushner, who does very good yeah, work, that was it. Uh, yeah. in, for the advocate covering the Pelicans, took a picture of just a beautiful shot. Of the confetti widescreen, but then he zoomed in on it and he noticed that sure enough, I'm in the bottom half of it, just really just drinking glaring things up at the in. sky. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, but 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 because look, man, I I didn't want to risk like if I start drinking at that point, I I literally can't be sober enough to avoid a DWI. Yeah. And drive an hour and a half back to Baton Rouge. Oh, yeah. So, and you're not really one for self control, so you wouldn't have been like, it, ah, "I gotta stop now." Well, I mean, I'm not. What, what's the point of going to have two beers and then? That's leaving, my life right? motto. Like, I'm, a, I'm a go all out or go or stay at home and play. And and, 2K well, kind of and, and I will say this: as I've gotten older, I have learned the value of a couple beers a little more. But in a setting like that, maybe I no. should say, like, what's the point of two beers? So no, I rolled out immediately after. I didn't want to be tempted. Um, I had a little bit of FOMO. I definitely had a little yeah. bit of FOMO, but I, I knew. I had a greater responsibility to the to the wonderful listeners of Off the Bench, and I wanted them to have some really fun stuff to listen to the next you morning whenever they woke up. So I went home, but I got my partying in uh, at 7 a.m. when our show started. That was good. I was drinking whiskey, and I can. Did you drink the whole show? Uh, yes, throughout the boy. show, refilling during commercial breaks, allegedly. Um and then the uh, coffee cup was a nice touch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it started with actual coffee and whiskey, uh, and then it was just that like, was like the most Louisiana <laughs> touch of it all. Being like, I don't know what cup do we have? I don't yeah, know. yeah, basically. Uh, and so and then um, yeah, and then so and then from there, I Ubered from work to curbside 
went and got myself a nice, just great classic bacon cheese, you know, bacon cheeseburger uh, with some fries. I got, I got, I got a, uh, no, I went with fries. They got good fries. I'm sorry. Um, They they got good tots too, like really good tots. I just, I'm I'm a fries over tots guy. I'm a tot, but still I love both. Um, So then I got, I also got an alcoholic uh, root beer float from curbside. And this is what, 11 a.m.? Yeah, about then maybe like getting around noon. And then I Ubered home. Uh, I had a couple more beers. I loaded up my uh, Hobbit pipe with some fine tobacco that I got at the Renaissance Fest. Oh, just tobacco, huh? Uh, yeah, it actually was. It actually right, was. Right. Full disclosure. Um, it really was. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, and then so I, I smoked my pipe. I drank more beer. And then finally about 2 o'clock I fell asleep because uh, I'd only slept like three hours yeah. the night before. And then I woke up super hungover at six, and it was terrible and everything. So, but feeling good now. I'm feeling like I'm finally ready to return to real life. But it was so much fun being able to drink and enjoy the show and have fun and kind of celebrate. And I'm texting my Alabama friends, and I can finally talk shit to them again yeah. and have like a leg to stand on. And it's like just so, <laughs> so wonderful. So I also noticed that when you posted your pipe video yeah zach von rosenberg replied to you and he was yeah. like i have a national title too which start stop there i do watch out now oh seven i was a true freshman oh right. got him yeah a little flex on you bitch right. did, did, did he know that uh I, maybe i don't know yeah, i don't know anyway <laughs> I, don't know. <laughs> I start that but then he's like yeah when do i get a podcast or whatever and i'm like is zach von rosenberg trying to cut me out of my own podcast <laughs> Yeah. Don't get me wrong, Von Rosenberg, you're welcome to come on the show anytime. He would actually be a fantastic addition to the vibe here. Yeah, I'm but- going to talk to Z. We're going to do something together. We'll figure it out. Uh, Still got another year, though. You got to be a little, yeah. Yeah, no, Brody, don't worry. We're going to, uh, you, you might get punted from the Hold That Podcast. Nailed podcast. it. Nailed uh, it. Yeah. Even though we're about to join my company. Yeah. So this would be a true blow. <laughs> well, remember, my whole scheme is to secretly take your job at the athletic you got more time on the podcast on the on the live show with andy staples than i did which was <laughs> a real it. like don't get me wrong i'm happy but also that was a real i love so much that they literally had me schedule that i got to go out alone <laughs> before you and then i have to watch from like the side stage <laughs> as somebody just like as my co my colleague is just getting is just dunking on me oh, and it was this oh, weird yes. moment of being like i didn't want to be on stage long so i'm happy but also like Fuck him. Uh, which also, shout out to The Athletic, shout out to Andy Staples, because- That was a lot of fun. Uh, Matt Fortuna, everybody else. I I'm, I know I'm forgetting names, uh, but the whole athletic crew was there, and it was awesome. Um, I didn't do New Orleans right this weekend, man. I don't think I did either. Like, I didn't- First off, I didn't- ha- You're talking about FOMO. I didn't have a single drink after the championship. Yeah. I was- wor- You were grinding, though. But, no, okay, I need to clarify this, though. I was grinding, but grinding much more than I should have been if I was smarter before, if this makes any sense. Mm. The night before, I might have been at Harris uh, gambling until about four a.m. with okay. some other coworkers. Lost a lot. Good, Did you win any money? Junk. Mm. Lost a little junk. So that's a loss mm. right there. You're up till four a.m. the night before. Probably the biggest work night of my entire life. Mm. Not, that was not. That was not blocking out the noise <laughs> at all. Uh, <laughs> woke up. Oh, and then woke up at eight a.m. for no reason. Like I had nowhere to be until upwards of two p.m. Yeah. And I'm just like I'm really bad at sleeping in. I'm an earlier person, so I wake up at eight a.m. So I'm no sleep. And then I and then obviously I have to get to work mode. And by the time like, so it's probably one. A, I'd say it's like twelve thirty or one a.m. By the time any of us are able to really get back from the press stuff and start writing, so at that point I'm going on three and a half, four hours of sleep, and I've almost been up for like twenty four hours. And my brain, I've never had this happen in my life before. I really haven't. Where my brain just flat out 
it's like mental apathy. Like it just forgot how to work. You were just done? It, no. Before the game. You're talking about when you woke up no, the next morning? It was when I sat down to write. Oh. <laughs> so the biggest story I'll probably write in my entire life, I physically can't write. And like, oh my I, God. I, and this sounds like just like a writer exaggerating. No, no, no. I sat down at about 12.45. It's 2.30 a.m. and I hadn't written a word. I was staring at my computer for an hour 45. <sighs> So I eventually just had to leave the the stadium and just take like a walk back to my hotel and just try to reset. Didn't start writing until four a.m. You did a good job though. You banged it out. Oh, thanks, man. But you, that's not the point. Like I just kind of screwed up that weekend because I'm just, like everybody's five a.m. Everyone's still drinking. I'm like I know, I know. I feel like I said I I had I had some FOMO as well. The first night I was like a bit like. A dog with too many tennis balls, and <laughs> yeah. I just like you know you try to meet up with everybody, and in the end you kind of end up doing nothing. And then yep. uh, yeah, another an, another night I had to I had to go do, deal with some family stuff, and so I went back to Baton Rouge, and then um, the night before I went out and it was fun, but like again I had to work early next morning, so I was kind of like you know I was being a little tame, another kind of dog with too many tennis balls type moment, but it was still fun. <laughs> I tell you what was actually personally for me the most fun thing I did before the game. I took a bit of a spiritual journey to the quarter where Ooh, I got done at about 11 a.m. Uh, with work. And I'm used to having like a five-hour pregame show up until kickoff. So I didn't have this. So I was like, I, you know, I could do something. But I, I didn't really want to go see anybody I knew. I didn't want to have to have extended conversations maybe. Yeah, um, but what I did want, I really wanted a voodoo from Jean Lafitte's blacksmith shop, yeah. which is uh, you know, grape slushy with Everclear essentially. But but when I lived in New Orleans, it was uh, every Mardi Gras I'd start at Portacol, get a monsoon, and then go get a voodoo or whatever. And I just love Lafitte's because it's, it's old as shit and it's awesome. awesome. Uh, so I walked from the stadium to the hotel, picked my credential, and then I walked from the hotel uh, to Lafitte's. And I didn't walk on bourbon; I walked walked off of it, but just kind of soaked in the sights and the sounds. Uh, went wherever the journey took me. I ended up at Lafitte's. I got the large voodoo. I saw some random people on a balcony that called me up there. I hung out with them for a little bit. Ooh. I like just yeah. I just I just truly w- I was in a very go with the flow. So you truly did New Orleans right. You're acting like you didn't. That's the- well, but it was it was no. It, it was true. It was just it was um it was different. It was something different for sure. But, but whatever. I guess I just floated around. I got a real vibe of the city and LSU fans and. Talking to all kinds of people. It was great. And then I went home, took a nap, locked it in, game time. Took me an hour to get in because the president had all access to Garage 6 yeah. shut down. Um, all right, but that, okay. Whatever. I was going to say, yeah, we made this about yes, us. Yes, like we have minutes. made this sorry, about yeah, us sorry, sorry, uh, sorry. very long. But it's okay. It's okay. Uh, if you're Champions listening to this, then you, you, you get how it goes. Because, look, that, that was some of the point is that it's, 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 it's reliving the just incredible – weekend that was the culmination of this year and lsu man 42 25 is that the yeah 42 so. 25 final yeah. score correct uh winning by a large margin i think what what we have it at about 42 30 something were we saying like i remember i, I, I think would, mine was 38 28 okay you said yes off. no yeah. you were very close not bad i'll take yeah, it Let's yeah yeah um i think where i eventually landed on most of my shows was uh, i was saying LSU low forties, Clemson low thirties. All right, you did good. Uh, so I think I think that you know we had this one. Here's the deal: Did we have it figured out, or no. was this LSU team no. just so damn consistent and good this year that it was as simple as predicting good things for them, and yeah. then 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 the your prediction looks. There smart. have been a few games that you and I, I think George just won. There have been a few games you and I are like come back on the show, let a little cigar, and we're like. 
We did it, boys. What's up? You're welcome. What's up? We're profits. You know, like, <laughs> this isn't one of those. This, I think I don't think we nailed much of this. Like, I don't think we nailed how good the defense was going to play. The defense played fantastic, for, except for, like, maybe one ugly drive. That was my biggest question mark. That was kind of the crux of all the radio I was doing was, like, I know the offense will do well. Like, yeah. I know they'll break through, even though we'll talk about it. I think Clemson actually... They played, they did, it just shows how powerful LSU's offense is because they did so much better than it would look like. even better than Auburn did, I think. Yeah, I kind of agree, which is so stupid. Yeah. Oh, God, no. Uh, it, it's a bummer that the 17-point deficit will not remember how incredible this game was. Yeah, like, yeah, that's no another will, good point. No one will ever be able to turn back to this game and be like, man, that was one of the best. And it's probably not one of the best, you get my, but it's a good one. But it was and, more intense than the final scoreline would quarters, have For three quarters, this game was a gorgeous chess match. Yes, and yeah, and, and, and and so I knew the offense would do well. I... My big question was how would the defense hold up? And initially it looked like not very well. And oh, and and four actually, punts and five drives, man. Was was it you writing? Did you talk to Aranda about this? Somebody I read talking was it you writing about how Aranda kinda they almost had to get back to basics? Like after the weeks of game planning, he was almost like I think I overthought myself initially and he just kinda went back to Let's do our base stuff and count on our talent to win out. I didn't write it, but I was one of the two people there when he said it. So I'll, okay. take, I'll take it. Okay. Okay. Great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he was really interesting. It was, like, yeah, he basically was just like, you know, I think we had all these calls and we got so complicated because there was so much I was like excited to do this season. Yeah. And part of that's actually why they had success late in the year. So not to like criticize him. I think later in the season, he got really creative and it worked. But yeah, he was like, we just got back to like some standard basics. And I think that's really when they started to lock him. Lock them down a bit more. Have and and that you know what that speaks to that just speaks to the raw talent yeah. of LSU, which we said it's kind of ironic that Clemson statistically was the much better defense coming in, but you could make the argument that LSU was the more talented defense, um, wow. even if they didn't execute at the Clemson level all year long. And I think that bore out. Yeah, like Clemson had a success rate of thirty nine percent in the second quarter and forty one percent in the third quarter after going after fifty five percent in the first quarter. So like. They really adjusted like that's yeah. for a national championship against that good of an offense. Like that's that's pretty elite. well third down. I mean that's that's the key, right? That's yes. the key. You go, you force a team one. It's the same thing I said after the Saints Vikings game. How do you create upsets? Like if you're the Vikings, they won in the red zone, they won on third down, and they won in turnovers. Like that is those are eternal football uh, turning points. Like those battles are. And if you win third down like LSU did, where you make them go one of eleven. Um, you're gonna win the game. Like, wonder, like bottom line, you're gonna win the game. This might, this might sound really stupid, but I wonder if like you know because we always the third down package is a huge part of that, right? The, yeah, the cheetah and all that. I wonder if that's almost like the the closest thing to a defense version of like the two minute drill becoming like what modern offense is in the sense that like I'm not saying you should ever do this three downs. Do not get me wrong, but like that's a package where it's kind of your eleven best guys in the field, you know, and it's like yeah, so that's where that's LSU fair. has all season been at its best and I think they're it's more complicated than that I think a lot of it has to do with they get teams in tough third downs and that's why it works I mean, yeah and D-line <laughs> play sets that up like the D-line yeah. that are then absent but on that still third I down. do think there's something to that idea that like you have your 11 like Cordell Flott's always on the field for that one he's a sneaky one of their best players but he's not on the field often on first and second yeah down. you know you got Marcel Brooks on yep. the field for something like that you always got Damone Clark on the field it's just a lot of guys that and like divinity this game true yeah divinity played pretty well like yeah I just think I just wonder if it's like you actually kind of have all your best guys in the field where it's, that's not, but the Tyler Shelvin's off the field. So maybe I'm talking at my ass. I don't know. No, I, I, I look, I get what you're saying though. And, um, they're, they're 11, like the 11 guys they were putting out there out there, third down kicked ass. And they made Trevor Lawrence uncomfortable. And Trevor Lawrence was a bit inaccurate. 
I mean, and, and sometimes it was forced errors, sometimes it was unforced errors, yeah. but oh, yeah. he had some guys that he missed, and, and, and credit to LSU for applying that pressure early, I think, and kind of maybe they sped up his internal clock a little bit. Um, and vice versa on Burrow, just quick, real quick, yeah. I don't, I don't know if Lawrence is used to throwing in as tight of windows always as he was to this game. That's very real. Now, he missed, he missed open receivers, but for all the talk of Christian Fulton playing a bad game, I thought Christian Fulton actually kicked ass. And then, obviously, Derek Stingley did. I mean, they didn't even go after him. But Fulton had a bad game tackling. And people, right? I think that's like, I wonder if that's what people were like referring oh, I did, to. I think there was just a couple <laughs> plays on him early on, right? Yeah. Like, it felt like they got a couple on him. Yeah, and then, they did. I've, I've re- to full disclosure, I've not rewatched the film, Me so these so are still my I'm really raw. Glad you're listening, guys. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I just, I mean, yeah, he, you're right. He, of course, he gave up a few, but it was like I feel like the conversation started happening when he like missed two really u- ugly tackles, and it's like, yeah, it's not. Well, good, there was a like, lot of that's panic. not what Christian. It's not like we're like that's why we're going to Christian Fulton. Like, that's true. That's true. And th- there was a lot of panicky LSU fans after the reverse that went for the 30 yard score where you had guys getting run over and yeah, was it ugly. looked like Delpit was jogging and like uh, that was a beautifully called drive by Clemson. Yeah. That that drive was the moment I'm like, oh, Clemson's going to win this game. So that's what was interesting. Was Clemson that- won the initial. You know, they won the first minutes. opening chess match. Like the the opening moves of the chess match, no they doubt. won. And then LSU did what they did all year, and they adjusted. That's yeah. That's that's the one thing you know, we didn't call much of this game, but we did call the one thing that's going to help LSU. It's true. Is that LSU is just it's it's so simple that it sounds dumb to call like a strength, but like they're just better at countering what you give them than anybody I've ever been around. And it's so simple, and I don't even think it's that complicated. Um, and I was talking to DJ Mangus after the game. You know, he's one of LSU's analysts. And he's like the basically like the third. the guy who's Brady's boy. <laughs> he's Brady's boy from William and Mary. Yeah, he was the youngest offensive coordinator in FCS history, and and he's kind of like basically like the third offensive guy. In so the he's league. probably going to Carolina. It's very possible. Yeah, he was the guy Brady brought. Um. Uh. Anyway, and he I was talking about the game, and you're like, what was the what was that like when they stopped in the in the booth when they stopped you four to five drives? And it's like, honestly, like as much as people like talk about how Steve's a character and all this, he's like. Steve's actually really calm, like in a yeah. press box. Like he's really like just kind of goes with the flow and feels pretty confident at all times. And and if anything, Joe was maybe a little more like kind of anxious. But like it was just kind of like, all right, well, we're gonna adjust. And you know, I think that's just kind of that's what this LSU team does. So interestingly, um, both Joe and Coach O went on part of my take afterwards. Listen to a little bit, and they independently arrived at that same thing where they were asking him, like, you know, were y'all like. Panicking at seventeen seven. Were there any like rah rah speeches? And Joe was like, "No, man. Everybody was calm. We knew yeah. that we'd break through." And O said the same thing. He was like, "I didn't give any like big like, come on, we got to do this." He just said, "No. I mean, that's who this team is. They don't need that." And that's the story of this team, really. I mean, that's kind of that's what we've talked about all year. Of like, that was the difference between leading into this Bama game compared to last year. It wasn't tense and tight. It was just like, all right. LSU thinks it's better. You know, that's the story of everyone talking about how they're talking shit on Georgia or talking shit on uh, Oklahoma before those two games. And it's like, I'm really talking shit. They're just kind of saying like, yeah, I think we have an advantage here. You know, like they weren't like, they weren't like a a pro wrestler, like trying to incite. They're just like, you ask me a question. Yeah, I think we're better here, but not better here. You know, like they're just kind of matter of fact about things. They just think they're better and it it proved correct. This is one of the best teams of all time. Um, I was very impressed with uh, what Brent Venables was doing early on. He was doing exactly what you need to do and that he was able to confuse that offensive line and he was able to get pressure without over committing numbers and now they brought the house a lot and actually what, yeah. LSU didn't always have a great plan for cover zero when Clemson uh would 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 go cover zero LSU a lot of times kind of looked a bit out of sorts especially when LSU would be in their bunch formations it seems like that was playing into 
Clemson's hands a bit. But um, and Cody Worsham had a great breakdown of what they were doing early, which you know credit to him. He pointed out is that. It's actually it was like the opposite of the Mississippi State Red Dog Blitz thing that was going on. It was they would rush six almost every play. Yeah. But then one of them would basically draw the pressure, but then drop into coverage. Yeah. So it both forced Burrow to make a quick decision, but also made it tough for him to hit the right guy. And then that's you know that's the the Venable special is knowing where you go hot and then laying a trap where you go hot. And uh, and 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 the stunts were getting the O line early. Oh, and man. they were a little confused. There were plays when, like, Sadiq Charles, this is not a crit, this is not on him because it's on other people, but, like, there was plays where there'd be two guys, a guy coming in each gap, he chases the guy to his left, and then he realizes he's not getting him, so then he turns and chases the guy to his right, and he realizes he can't get him, yeah. and all of a sudden two guys are in, and Burrow has half a second to throw. And, and, and so I think a couple of the biggest adjustments that were made, um, first off, LSU, uh, well, I, I, I want to highlight the offensive line because – First, I think they started to identify things way better. And once they were actually blocking one-on-one, they did a very good job of holding up. Like, it wasn't that they were just getting physically dominated. They were just confused at first. So credit them to me. And I know we talked about it during the game. Maybe you didn't fully agree. But I thought that that second quarter was kind of defined by the O-line playing just infinitely better than they did at the beginning of the game. Like, when they started to pick things up, it gave Burrow time, and when you give Burrow time, you can't beat him. Um, and then the other, right. the other thing that they did is this game plan all hinged on empty. So they had to be great. And, and, and to me, it was the ultimate cherry on the top, exclamation point, let's just reinforce how far we have come. Because last year, what did I yell about all season long? was the over-reliance on max protection. Absolutely. Keeping six guys in, seven guys in, eight guys in. Nobody ran more six-man and seven-man protection last year than LSU did. And now this year, I think, like, I don't know if nobody ran more empty, but the entire national ch- championship game plan revolved around empty sets. Yep. And you have got to trust your guys up front. And uh, I thought they stepped up in a huge way, and that was the difference in getting the offense going. Yeah, I have no addition to that because I. You're right. I kind of at halftime we talked about all this and, and I was like, really? I mean, they got their ass kicked. And you're like, yeah, they stepped up at the end of the first half. And I'm like, and, and, they, and Burrow and Burrow played way better too. But it's to me that that's part and parcel, right? Like their increased level of play set him up to then increase his level of play. And it was and Jamar Chase. <laughs> LSU said they were shocked that they wanted to go one on one on the outside. You saw why LSU was shocked that they wanted to go one on one. I know. I was talking to somebody, and it was like, it wasn't that we were shocked that they did it. We were more than anything shocked that they had the confidence to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That they yeah. thought they could. So you put. I mean, I get it because they have a lot of faith in their back seven. And I think we've learned throughout the season that if you ever double anybody, you're screwed. So I get. And it. Bill Connolly had a great. S&P infused piece the Ooh. day of the game yeah, where so- he broke it down from all angles. I absolutely loved it. Uh um, What was your big takeaway that relates to this? Um well well in it he talks about how, you know, we are looking at the two best pass defenses in the country. Like a 1A and 1B maybe when he was going through some of the numbers and everything and and uh and so, so I guess that's to explain maybe that's why Clemson had the confidence that we didn't necessarily see because up to this point, they were an elite pass defense, and they had been an elite Absolutely. pass defense all season and they long. They were for two quarters. You know yeah, what I mean? It just, yeah. yeah, yeah, just Jamar Chase and 
Terrace Marshall and Justin Jefferson and Thad Moss and Clyde Edwards-Alaire. It's the most legendary 11 personnel grouping of all time. It's just, wow, that's how a do fun you, take. Like, how do you stop him? I don't really know that, to be clear. I don't, no, I know, you know I know, I know. Really but that's like that, a fun but, conversation to have because yes. it can get exhausting when you talk about, like, best team, best all these things. But when you get specific, it gets a little more fun. I'm shocked like, why that, that a, a, a Fab Five nickname or something didn't develop during the, uh, during the season. That seems like a... Missed opportunity. Damn guy, they all come out corny. Yeah, well, you know, there was one that somebody tried to make like a Mosketeers thing happen, and I'm like, I'm good, man. Uh, Well, that's because you are cynical and you hate all fun things. Maybe Brody, one day when you get a bit when you get a bit older, I love it. Uh, you might appreciate a little corniness in your life, a little sin. Hey, you got to make up your mind because one day you call me the <laughs> oldest soul you know, and then the next day you're like, "Man, you need to grow up. You're a child." And like, you got to find a middle ground here, buddy. Uh, no, no, you know me. I never argue in good faith. I'm just constantly <laughs> shifting, trying to find. It's our my- biggest problem on this podcast is I never know which one I'm arguing with. <laughs> I'm trying to find my best avenue to attack. Look, a little sincerity would do you you're well. A, you're a podcast politician. A, li- man. a little sincerity would do you well every now and then, Brody. Okay? I am make- sincere. I argue in good faith. A little corniness, okay? I'm plenty um, corny. No, uh, but yeah, the Fab Five were just spectacular. I, I can't exactly remember where we're going. Oh, Clemson wanted to go man on man. My other big takeaway from that was from the Bill Connolly article was just reinforcing winning third down and also randomly winning second down. Apparently, Clemson this year had made a ton of hay by having success on second down. Offensively or defensively? Uh, offensively. And, L- and LSU sense. did, yeah. LSU did a very good job of keeping them, for the most part, uh, out of third and manageables and making things really hard on them. Yeah, because I remember I did that, uh, that like what it was like. I think a week or so ago, I did like the six stats that define the season or something like that. Yeah, and one of them was basically that, and I found it so weird and fascinating that LSU was one of the worst in the country at a, the rate in which you allow your first downs on first and second down. Like, teams can get 10 oh, yards quickly. Because they were one of the best third down teams in the entire year. But they're, like, like seventh all in long. the country at the average third down distance, which goes exactly with what he's saying, is that, like, it's an all-or-nothing defense, which kind of proved perfectly true in yeah, this game. Yeah, it played like, out. They're either going to blow you up and get you in, like, third and 11, or you're going to move the ball quickly, which I think actually explains so much, is that that D-line's good at getting you in a tough spot. They're good at all that. Their third-down personnel is fantastic. I asked Seth Galina, I'm like, because I saw that stat, I'm like, yeah. what would contribute to that? And he's like, I think it goes back to just how ridiculously simple they are on first and second down. Like, they don't mix it up ever. They yeah. just kind of do exactly what they do, and then third down, they get all creative, and that's just really interesting. Do you um do you think Dabo should have gone for it in some of those early fourth downs? There was the one I thought he should have. Yeah. I forget the diamond distance and all that, but yeah, it was like a forty something field goal. But I'm pretty sure he made the field goal. Well, yeah, ironically oh, punts. Ironically, no, they yeah, they punted one time, I think, from a shorter distance and they I eventually kicked a field goal right. from. Uh, I, I I I think it's hard to second guess that, especially when you lose a game by seventeen. I, okay, so what I was gonna say is I'm not um, I I don't feel too passionately either way, yeah, right? right? Like yeah. if you wanted to go for it, go for it. But let's not act like it's obvious. Like I'm here to be like it's obvious because if you don't get that, like at that point, you have the LSU offense on the ropes a bit. I was gonna say, and I'm if ch- you don't get that, you give them life. I'm changing my mind on air because those punts, for example, and that's that's just one part of the puzzle. But those punts were a huge reason why you were in that game. Yeah, because. The reason LSU was so behind schedule on offense was the first two drives of the game, they're pinned within the tent. Yeah, and it they was real sketchy. They, they will all tell you that. So, like, that is why fundamentally Clemson was in the game. As much as we want to talk about how, like, Clemson did all this stuff to disrupt them, which is true, they did. But, like, 
half of the success was they had great field position. Yeah, and if Burrow had a little more room, who knows if they have as much early success. You don't uh, stop before the first did. five drops. Yeah. That's just yeah. a fact. Damn, I forgot. That's what ended up being for the first five. That's unreal. For what we witnessed this year, that is unreal by Clemson to be able to do that. And it was the first time all year they ever started a game with two three and outs. And then for Clemson to do that again in the second half and come out and force back to back three and was outs. Was it back to back? I yeah. couldn't remember. Yeah. They went three. LSU went Clearly three. LSU looked like they set, well, they did. They set themselves up perfectly for the, for the, for the double punch, right? The, uh, the, the score right before half, get the ball back, score again. But they get the ball back, they go three and out. Clemson gets eight. And then LSU, and then they force LSU three and out again. And at that point, it was a little like, oh, okay, yeah. let's. You know, what's about to happen here? And that was when the defense uh, stepped up. And that is the difference here. That was he, when Patrick Queen, that, that was that was like the, the screen. Is that, that the was the beginning tackle? of the Patrick Sweet mode. It's 28 25. They got the ball at like the 30. And that's when that screen that would have gone to the house. Patrick Queen chases down maybe the most explosive running back in college football, which shows just the value of Patrick Queen because he's maybe the fastest inside linebacker. I mean, it, it, we should start calling him Patrick Screen. Nice. With that kind I'm okay of, with it. See, uh, I'm embracing the fun here, man. This is evolution on air. I like that. That was a good time. We're having fun here. Uh, anyway, yeah, no. and, then, and then basically, yeah, LSU gets the ball back, and that's when they turn to Burrow on a ten-yard run, then a four-yard run, then the, then then there's the massive screen, and when they go, when Clemson goes cover zero, they hit the screen to chase for forty-three Ooh, yards. Great execution, almost the call of the game down to tight window. That was the call of the game. I mean, that or or the 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 quarterback draw yeah. third and long. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right before half because that set up the that. touchdown right before half. half. Yeah. yeah, that was huge. Which, hey, man. Third and ten. Again, a huge game where we see Burrow's legs kind of end up as the X factor, which you called. I did not see them running Burrow uh, a lot before the game, and you called it. I didn't even call it. I mainly just thought that I've said like for like five weeks, like if LSU ever gets in trouble, that's the ace in the hole that they've hid all year. Because they one they don't want to get him hurt, but two they just like yeah, and it, it gives you a numbers advantage. <laughs> Absolutely, and he's one of the best runners in the country. They just don't use it because he's so good. You don't have to. Yeah. So when they needed to against Bama in this game, the only two times they've ever needed to, it's been the changing factor in winning a football game. Um, other things that jumped out to me, um, I do. Yeah, like you said, talk about how good Fulton looked. I do just want to say, yeah, the secondary actually played like an elite game of football. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I understand some people criticizing both ways that like the. The DBs got away with a lot on both sides, I think. There was a lot of like... They let him play. Let yeah, him they play. really let him play. But that went both ways, so that's not unfair. But yeah, LSU's DBs were all over them, and it went both ways. Both both secondaries played fantastic. But I mean, Stingley... Stingley got targeted, I think, like twice the whole football game. So now the shoe is on the other foot, where Clemson watched that film, and they were like, you know what? I don't think we actually want to fuck with Derek Stingley. Like... I guess we'll have to try Christian Fulton, Which and is, and really that got them burned. I didn't. So I I don't know about like the PIs and maybe what was or wasn't. The one replay I saw the Fulton pick didn't look like there was much there. Like so, I mean even Fulton nearly made them pay in a in a huge way. And uh, what what did what did you think about the? Okay, was it should have been offensive PI on Jamar Chase when he pushed off? Very beginning, first touchdown. He gets like a lot oh. of separation. Yeah, I didn't probably. see it great. I didn't see it great. Probably, though. but it that should probably should have been 
what should not have been was the pass interference, defensive pass interference on who was it? Fulton. Well, the yeah, interception. When he yeah, the pick. Yeah, the pick. Which all worked out, but that was a game changing play. That was not pass interference, especially considering, like we just said, how much they got away with the whole game. Wow. That's what you call it on. So what do you think? And not that thought this- it was a makeup call for the terrible block in the back call that stopped a massive Clemson play. Yeah, what was that about? Now Clemson that wanted was to score that bad. drive. So good job by Clemson. Well, they didn't call did, block they did in the back. They called. They called blindside. But to me, the guy was about to make the tackle. Are you not allowed? It wasn't even like a it wasn't even like a cheap hit. That's what I'm saying. Are you not allowed to hit a guy Dude, like I if think, he's about to make the tackle? Like he has he has to be looking at you and be like, hey. And he was. Hey, look they at were, me. They were like face to face. The <laughs> like, hit wasn't cheap. Like, you know, there was no like yes, helmet or anything. No, I was so I think we're at a point right that. now where like these like back of the play blocks, just the optics look so bad, like a kickoff block, right? No, where it's fair. <laughs> where it's just they always look so scary because it looks like a guy just not ready and then boom. And all of a sudden, I just think now like refs are overreacting to it because so much of football now is the scary optics, which is unfortunate. And I'm not a hate the ref guy, but that was really, I, and, and I actually, really bad. I like that Clemson scored that drive too, too. because then it kind of takes that yeah, like takes that away from that. It's an amazing championship game. Uh, just because we're running through refs calls, um, what did you think about the the OPI? On the touchdown, that maybe would have mattered. Is that fourth quarter? I don't think so. Yeah, fourth. So quarter. I was on the elevator down. Okay, so I missed that. So break it down. Well, I thought LSU really got away with one initially. I was like, oh shit, that does not look like OPI. Uh, but I saw a replay today actually where you, I mean, you see him grab Vincent by the shoulders and throw him down. So I don't know. I think maybe real time it was all right, but. In the end, it doesn't matter. And if they scored that touchdown, I don't think it would have mattered. Just like I don't think anything would have mattered because at the end of the day, Joey Burrow would have come through just like he came through every single time that you asked him to. How about the ring celebration walking off when he basically knew it was done after the uh, Terrace Marshall touchdown? I think it was the perfect like Joe Burrow personality game in that sense in that I mean, like, I had a feeling I was going to focus on him in my post game, so I was just staring at him the whole game, like everything yeah. he did. And it was kind of... It showed, I remember like before the game, I mean, he looked like a robot in the sense that like, it was just like the way he was running, the way he was doing everything, like his eyes were kind of bizarrely. Like, I, I, I've, I've, I've come to the conclusion, I don't know why I didn't use this earlier, he has sociopathic eyes, like a murderer's oh, eyes. very much does, <laughs> like, which I have a whole different theory on that, but that's not something I'll say on air. But, oh, oh, what a, a tease. Weird, that was a weird tease. I'm sorry. I don't, I'm not saying he's a murderer. Like, <laughs> I'm really sorry about that. Do not sue me, Burrow family. Are, are, are you saying that there are kind of common elements to, like, okay, if you're murdering someone, that's a high-pressure situation, and if you're like a, like no, a serial killer. Any of well, okay, but think that about was this. such a weird plug. I'm going down this road. Let's do it, buddy. Because if you are like somebody like a serial killer, but you're a very successful one, chances are you're in high-pressure situations, oh, yeah. but you're kind of able to remove yourself from that and execute what you your game plan is. got to be a championship-level serial killer. Yeah, I mean, you know, Joey like, Burrow the same way. Well, Tom Brady of serial killers, yeah. Like, the ones who get caught, they got that high-pressure situation. Exactly. It's because oh. they don't have that sociopathic tendencies. Okay, <laughs> yeah, what about yeah. his eyes? No, 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 you're good. Yeah. No, and he has this thing where it's like, it's not even like he's in the world that everyone else is living in. Like, his eyes are just somewhere else in that moment. You know, like he's in his own world and he's like just thinking about something else. Yeah. And then you watch him during the game and it's like no matter what happens, it's the same reaction. It was actually kind of robotic. It yes. was like, all right, they get stopped four to five drives and they punt again. Goes to the sideline, 
doesn't pout, doesn't do anything, two sips of water, and it's like clockwork, two every single time, puts the headset on. Throws a 52-yard touchdown pass, goes to the sideline, sip, sip, yeah. headset. Yeah. Throws a, gets hit, throws that touchdown where he gets hit and like goes down, and he's hurt and all that, and he's clearly in pain, and we find out he tore cartilage or something what a like beast. that. Sip, what a beast. sip. But then the second he knew it was over, which is that fourth quarter touchdown you're talking, I think you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know he has it. It was the Terrace Marshall one to make it, you know, you, there's only a few minutes left and it's 42 to 25. Like, for all intents and purposes, you understand that game's done. That's when he knows he has it. And yeah. that's where the cockiest human being I've ever met in my life comes out. <laughs> big, dick where, big, big, big that dick was the Joe. Big Dick Joe. He, he unsheathed the sword and right he there. he just starts pointing at his fingers emphatically, put the ring on it. Uh, then Neck starts playing. Well, let's be clear. They did not play neck. They what? played no, no, no. They played a song with a beat, and then people just put. I could have swore S T T D B R. If they play neck, the band director gets fired on the spot. I've heard like like you, you're done. They have they have a new song that they have developed that has a similar vibe, but it is not uh, literal huh. neck. I was like ninety nine percent sure that was that because I always double check that because I'm like. Huh. All right, man. I mean, we can we can double check, but I do. I am. I I feel I feel similarly confident that it was not. Uh, but but whatever it was, the entire crowd was chanting S T T D B, and uh, and Burrow was bobbing right yeah, along. Yeah, with yeah. The point is like he was like lifting his arm and bouncing and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was uh, which I just love the fact too that like something that started with you know oh it's all the students and. We just can't control these unruly students now. There's like middle-aged men with their kids saying "suck that tiger." It's just like it's it's out of control. It's a really str- well. I wait. That was a cool moment when they were playing it on Bourbon Street, like two days. Three oh, days, it was great. The day before the championship. Now they played neck. They played on neck. Bourbon, the old band played neck. That was, that was cool. And but, uh, and it's uh, it's it's like an intellectual contagion, right? Like now that it's in everybody's brain, it's just never going it's away. Never going away now. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and uh, it's we talk about the Burrow game. It's kind of like I remember before after the Clemson Ohio State game, you and I were saying it's like I'm more impressed with Trevor Lawrence after a rough game by how he recovered than I was by any of his like amazing games. You know, yeah. right? We're like he came up in the clutch in that Ohio State game after looking pretty rough for a while. And that's almost what made me respect him more. Burrow had his worst statistical game of the season, probably. <laughs> Which by far his worst completion percentage, the most he's been rattled, and that's more about Clemson. Yeah, he defense. lost the completion percentage record. I was going to get because of it, <laughs> but I was going to say like, I'm, damn you, Cole McCoy. Man, that, apparently, Stuart Mandel brought it up to him post game and like said he broke it because we all assumed he did, and like Joe was like kind of happy about it and even said like this was my goal. Oh. So Stu Mandel mm. just blew Stu. it. <laughs> Old fake news stew. That's what yeah, they call that's what him. We call him. <laughs> uh, but no, actually, so, I uh, just uh, on the record, uh, I actually love Stu, and I got to guy. meet him this weekend. Great and boss. he was really cool. He was really kind. Oh, is he like your like he's, boss? He's the, him and Dan Uthman are my head honchos. Yeah. Oh, okay, boss, okay. Hey, we love you, Stu. We would never call you fake news stew. We we're just joking. Yeah, please don't cut my paychecks. <laughs> <laughs> I got three kids. Uh, oh wow. Yeah, I never told you that. Um, that's, uh, we'll just gloss right over that. But that is shocking to learn, Brody. Now, what were you saying about Joe Burrow? Fuck your kids. <laughs> All right, come on. Um, <laughs> anyway, no, no. So I think this was like, it's one of those things where it's like, this is one of his most impressive football games he ever played because you saw him get rattled. You saw him actually have a hard time. You saw him against, I think at this point we have to agree, Memorial Ohio State are the best defense in college football, yeah. which we've seen them all, so we would know. 
Um, <laughs> so true. That is so true. And to dude. see him just kind of adjust and make those just kind of quick, ugly, short passes to start to get them some momentum with pressure. We saw him tear rib cartilage. Yes. And it wasn't a problem. <laughs> exactly. And we saw that run on you know third and long and all these things and some of those throws, that Terrace Marshall touchdown, that Jamar Chase touchdown. The Jamar Chase dropped touchdown Shoot. was... Perfect. It, the throw was unreal. Like, and it was one of those ones where he was in such a rhythm at that point. The second it left his hand, you could feel it. Oh, like yeah. you knew it was going right on target. I was like, oh god, this is gonna be the game right here. And then, you know, the 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 unfortunate drop. But but that's that's the thing about the sell shoot team. Mistakes don't matter. It's such a relentless, high volume, all out assault that like. Throughout the year, oh, you got a holding penalty? It doesn't matter. Oh, you you jumped off sides? False start? It doesn't matter. Like, like no matter yeah. what it was, even on that third and 20 right before half where he puts him in, I knew it ended up drawing a flag, but the reason why there was pass interference there was because he stressed them where they were going to get the first down. Yeah. Like, it was wide open. And so it's just... It's the James Harden. You have to foul him or he's going to score things. I mean, it's... I mean, well, I don't know. You know James Harden's bitch, dude. And James Harden draws a lot of BS fouls. But but anyway, anyway. You're wrong. Um, oh, God. Are you a James Harden supporter? I mean, he's the best offensive player I've seen in a while. <sighs> okay. Yeah. We can't go down this road. Um, you watch him play basketball? It's a gift. Oh. He's the Joe Burrow of offense. Are, and are, I actually no, kind of, no, 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 no. That's know, actually the best comparison. I know, I that know is the that, best comparison on earth. I know that you can tell that you're upsetting me a little bit here until you're digging your heels in, but no. But no. no, I'm talking myself into a good theory. Oh, and I'm like, god. this is real. Oh my god, I hate you Because so much, it's the best dude. comparison. Hear me out. Ready? Putting on my Colin Coward voice here. Um... Uh, <laughs> Okay, what makes James Harden the best offensive player is that like no matter how good you are, he can like hit a step back thirty five footer and it doesn't make sense, or he can drive to the rim and you have to foul him because you have no choice, and all these things like his offense is kind of at a unfair level right now. Joe Burrow is no matter what you do, he will adjust and he will beat you. Yeah. Well, allow me to put on my Skip Bayless hat. Uh, you know what James Harden doesn't have? The ring. And it doesn't mean a thing without the ring, okay? And James Harden doesn't have the clutch gene. Joe Burrow is the clutch gene. All right. Yeah, should we do our, like, Ryan Rosillo tease thing he does where he's like, coming up next, why James Harden? Yeah. I got nothing. Dude, but, I just can't. Um, yeah, okay, so we don't need to get into James Harden. Um, Point being. Where, oh, yeah. Is, well, we're well Sue Mandela, actually, I wanted to say, Sue Mandela had the perfect kind of post-game column. It was basically about. Joe Burrow had the best ending to a best season we've ever seen from a quarterback. And it was just like, I really am at a point now. I've always said Cam Newton's the best quarterback season I've ever watched. And yeah. I've always felt really strongly about that. And even like post-Bama, post-George, all these things, I'm like, I don't know if we don't live in the moment too much. And I'm not living in the moment of the best team stuff because I'm not ready to say that. No, not even, I don't think it is the best team ever. But I think Joe Burrow had the best quarterback season of all time. I really do. I just think the combination of clutch moments, big moments, uh, playing every elite defense, playing every top team. The storyline does kind of add something, even if that's unfair. You know, just like, he's the best passer we've ever seen in college football, and he's an elite runner. I just think... Cam Cam Newton's Cam Newton season, and, and this is where just comparing anything like legacy and histor- history-wise is so hard to do, is that the Cam Newton team had way less NFL talent than this LSU team does. And that's why Cam Newton's season was so incredible. Because right. he, he he literally carried a football he team. He dragged that team up by its bootstraps. I would agree. But but because so that, of that is a good argument. But because of that they also got in some close battles, right? Whereas Burrow pretty much just ran roughshod over anybody who like even came close. Uh and so it's like I I I could take either one. Um 
I guess I would probably lean Burrow just because. Because I mean, when you break, uh, when when you break um, Colt Brennan's touchdown record, that was supposed to be like. You know, a kind of a you know a paper record in my opinion. Like that was never supposed to be a record broken when you played seven top ten teams. That's yeah. a record when you play in a bad conference and you play in the air raid or like yes. you play for yeah. Mike Leach somewhere. Like you're not supposed to do that as you're marching to a national as championship. You played six of the top ten SP plus defenses yeah. and like all this stuff. Yeah. And like and that's why you have to go back to everyone points to like when you see an efficiency stat, when you see a completion percentage stat, like a Colt McCoy's, for example. The obvious assumption is, is like those are manufactured completions, right? Yep. Those are wide open guys. Dink it's and like, dunk. That's why the Burrow stuff is so amazing, is because you see the advanced stuff, and it's like, oh no, he leads the country and passes downfield and all this stuff. And it's like, this isn't just impressive. This is, I really can't stress this enough. It's ungodly. Like it's, yeah, this is unfair. It's Big Dick Joe. <laughs> and by the way, I want to. It's one of those questions I bummed. I'll probably never get like a. You know, I'm not anytime soon. Going to interview Joe Burrow again. How big is your dick? <laughs> No, no, my bad. No, no, no. Uh, no you were you were I, ask where you got the hat I'm from. I'm a reporter. You don't think I know the answer to that? <laughs> uh, so that was weird. Uh, wow, I made some weird jokes tonight. Both regarding Burrow, so I need to step away. Oh, um, he is the god, though, man. I told you, he's, he has gravitational but, pull. <laughs> pull. Um, anyway, what I want to ask him is like, I feel like since about the Bama game, he got this like. Like, he learned how good he can be in moving around the pocket. Yeah. But now you watch him, and it's like there's this new confidence when it... Like, he used to be like, I'm going to evade, I'm going to make the right steps, I'm going to try to get... And now it's like he just operates like he's invincible in the pocket, and there's this irrational confidence moving in the pocket where he's like just screwing around and playing with and the guy. And it's weird moves, too. It's very off-kilter, yeah. like little like jab steps here, <laughs> like he never jab used to do. there. He used to be really smart and efficient and try to get the ball out. Now it's like, it's... I know I'm gonna break. So he, he, which actually cost him a sack or two, I think. But still, there's this new weird confidence. I think I think that it's actually pretty insightful uh, by you because he actually touched on that in that part of my take interview. Really, where he was like, "Look, man, I mean," and that's the other thing. He he basically said something along the lines of like, "Yeah, well, you can get through, but then you still got to tackle me." And he was like, "And you know, and you ain't getting me." So that's the reason I kind of like I'm at this point where I'm ready to say it's the best ever because. It's the greatest we've already established. It's the best passing season that we will ever see, probably. Yeah. <laughs> then you go to he's an elite runner when he's called upon. Not as not Cam Newton, but he's a really, really, really good one. Yeah. And then you go to that. And a lot of those passing <laughs> sets came from just ridiculous extended plays yeah. that were factored around go his to legs. The, yeah. Then you go to just how unfair he is at evading a sack. And then you go to the clutch moments. And you go to how much better he makes his receivers, which is actually like a subtle thing you can't quantify, but that's real. I mean, the stuff he does to just like make a receiver look better than he is sometimes. So well, you know he throws them open too. I mean, yeah. I know that sounds cliche at this point, but like He's great at back shoulders, right? How do you set your guy up to win one-on-one battles? Great back shoulder throws, anything to the outside. Like, go look at the Terrace Marshall touchdown or the Jamar Chase drop touchdown. That was actually good coverage on both those. Oh, it God, just yeah. the Dude, throw was better than the coverage. Fantastic. Um, except on Jamar Chase. I mean, Jamar Chase was burning him at uh, at times. Um, okay, so while we're talking to best, do you have anything else on Joe? Is this Be- live? I just got a text from my brother saying, "What did you play at the casino?" I'm so confused. <laughs> I really, I don't think I've talked this about him, and I don't think I've talked to anywhere else. What is happening? I don't. I have no idea. We're. I forgot to tell you, yeah, we're secretly live streaming it. No. Uh, anything else on Burrow's past season? I, I, I think you've convinced me. I think it is the greatest quarterback season of all time. I don't want to get into best team of all time because eras are different, and the game changes so much. I mean, Roman Harper mentioned this today, right? He's like, I mean. 
He's like, I don't know how to compare it to that 2001 Miami team because judging by how that Clemson kid got kicked out of the game, everybody would have gotten kicked out of the game for 2001 Miami. Uh, Talking about the targeting call, right? What I do feel confident in saying, is this the best resume of all time? Where where, One thing you can do, you can always judge what a team does relative to their peers, right? And and, and that, that accounts automatically for changes in the football meta and changes in style. And nobody beat their peers down more Maybe then, maybe I should say then this LSU team, the seven AP top ten wins, which is a record, the only team ever to beat the preseason top four. Um, uh, they they to maybe most impressively, Brody, they beat five of the final top eight. Yeah. So like not not like middles. If you want to take away the Texas win, it's oh seven top ten wins, whatever. Okay, they beat five of the final. And Scott Van Pelt point eight. out, LSU is one of the top eight. So really, they took like five <laughs> of the top seven. You know what I mean? Like, and and uh, Greeny had a great stat yeah. where he took like four of the winningest teams, and I think they went like sixty and four outside of LSU games, and yeah, they yeah. beat them by an average of twenty points. And yeah, I no, I think that's the key stat too because it's like there's this weird thing. I, I this, this, this falls in the category of things I say that might sound stupid, but like, <clears throat> it's like a team, if they didn't play LSU, would be number three in the country. You know what I mean? Like, yes, you yeah, can't. No, yes. It's like, oh, do you look at the record? It's like, yeah, but they, if they didn't play LSU, they would be eleven and it's, one. It, it's why, it's why top ten. Like they, yeah. it's why, it's why people trying to take away top ten wins, like. Post game, that's what I'm trying to get is to. Is flawed yeah. because they're not in the top ten because they lost. They to lost you. to this right, team, exactly. Yeah. yeah, like so. I thank you for saying that better than I could. Yeah. <laughs> so I yeah I think we're at a point, and I'm not a historian. I would lo- I would love. I mean, to if ask- Florida doesn't lose to LSU, they're uh, twelve and one, and then in the SEC champ. Or I guess well, I don't know if they would have made it over Jordan. But still, Sugar Bowl, it's a top stuff, five team. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm at I'm at a point where I mean I'm not Matt Brown, uh, the athletic. I'm not like a history expert. But there's never been a team with a tougher run of teams in, in college football history. I think that's pretty clear. And like, they beat, and they beat, they, and they beat, beat them convincingly. Yes, and they beat the Pac-12 champion. Oh wait, not yeah, no, not the Pac-12. They beat the ACC champs, the Big, Big 12. Twelve champs, the that's, SEC East champs. They beat the winners of the Sugar Bowl, Fiesta Bowl, Cotton Bowl, geez. Alamo Bowl, Texas Bowl. <laughs> like their teams won all their bowl games. The and teams they've, that they've, they've trailed in the second half, I think, once all season, and it was for like two minutes in the third quarter against Florida. I was shocked to see that. I think you pointed this out on Twitter when they were losing in the first quarter. Seven, yeah. That was the first time they had been trailing since Auburn. And and here's my the best one. It's the only time all season they tra- trailed by more than a touchdown, like by more than seven points. You even talk about mental toughness. They literally got put in a situation they've never been in before, and they didn't blink for a second. Um, so yeah, so best resume I think of all time. And in the end, what it means is that three years removed from Ed o, at at Coach O Day down in cut off Louisiana with over a thousand Cajuns packed in a. South Lafouche High School's gymnasium. He set up there. I was there that day. Really? Uh, and he and he talked about how, you know, I know a lot of people are upset. No, I'm not everybody's first, second, third choice. But I promise you this: in a very short order of time, I will have LSU. We'll be SEC champs, be in the playoff, competing for a natty. And uh, and I'm paraphrasing there, but but, yeah. but uh, essentially. Um, and as he said it, I remember thinking, like, I don't know, bro. I mean, and I was a big Edo supporter, but I was like, I just, you know, it just felt so unrealistic to where you were at that moment. And to now, three years later, 
year 15 and 0 best resume of all time best quarterback season of all time your second Heisman winner all the coach of the year awards a Thorpe award a Joe Moore award I mean it's Royals award it's just exorbitant it's exorbitant it is beyond the wildest greediest dreams of any LSU fan and it is so narratively stunning that in the end it was Ed Ogeron from Cutoff, Louisiana, um, the man who had one of the worst runs ever at Ole Miss that ends up proving everybody wrong and ends up getting done. And to me, it highlights why sports are so awesome and so badass is that storylines like that, that's not written in a script. That shit happened in real life. And I was talking to somebody yesterday. I'm like, I'm 25 and I just covered the most interesting season I will ever cover. Yeah, like, and it's kind of depressing. That's not an that exaggeration. No, yeah, I, I'm this, with you on that. I've been I've been actually struggling with that a little bit as, as this like, year. What do I do ended. now? Do yeah. I maybe go open my nacho only restaurant, Chose Bros? <laughs> yeah, maybe no, I, no, 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 crepes. It smells like crepes in that, here. No, that's that's your restaurant. This is mine. Oh, Chose I thought Bro. we were doing like a KFC Taco Bell thing. I, we that was my about. plan, but then you backed out on it a few weeks ago on the show. Shit. See, I got to keep track of my arguments. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe do I, you know, open a, a bait shop somewhere? You know, like do I have to, do I go into the next chapter of my life? Do I, start, I know. Do I start a novel? <laughs> it's but, real talk, though. So dude, aside for from real. any conversation we want to have about the best teams ever, I really am really trying hard to think about this in sports history. I, God, I'm probably wrong, but I feel like this is the best storyline championship season. I have ever seen, and and I just so there there I might cover another championship in my life. I want to be clear on that. I mean, it's LSU. I'll I'll probably cover another championship, but there will never be a season that is just so ridiculous from the storyline point of view. The coach who came, who like you just said, everything you just said about Ogeron, that is the best coaching storyline in college football history. Joe Burrow, the, you know his storyline of being the Ohio State cast out and all these things, not cast out, but. That's one of the best storylines and one of the best seasons ever. It's LSU, so there's more culture and nonsense and just character on this roster than you will see in your most places. The the perfect storm of Joe Brady. The fact that it's not just a good offense, it's that it's a team that went from a Stone Age offense to the best offense of college of all time. Just scoring more points. Season. Yes, it's scoring like, more points than any other team in college football history. This, if you had said that to someone five months ago, you would not have been able to wrap your head around what that looked like even. Like you this, couldn't imagine it. This is not just a, like, this is not your normal championship season. Because yeah. when Alabama won it, like when Clemson won it, oh, when dude, all these teams all won it, from you always start that season <laughs> with a sense of like expectation that's in the cards. You know, like that's always there. It's always like, yeah, yeah like they, they're a good title team. No, they won. That's a good roster. You expected that. You know, maybe the first Clemson one was a pretty good one, but like this was just... LSU was, of course, a contender, but they weren't in the conversation, really. No, like, and I, I don't remember the exact number, but another athletic article I was reading was like, you know, just analyzing the polls. And LSU was the first team ranked outside of the top five in a while to win it all. I, I can't remember exactly when, but to your point. So, yeah, you're right, Brody. It, it is almost a little weird where it rebounds all the way because we're in this business just because of our jobs where it's like, we gotta start forcing. Man, news. we kind of we kind of peaked a little early here. I think we have to become newsmakers. You know, start start forcing storylines. Oh, okay. You know, maybe drop a little okay. something. Like plant know. some coke in a player's locker room or something. It's kind of was exactly what was in my head, but I didn't want to say <laughs> it because I am technically a reporter. I'm like, wow, that wouldn't. But yeah, you know, like <laughs> we're gonna make the story. Maybe start now. some fights at bars. You know, uh, like <laughs> well, and and something we've we've discussed a lot on this show now. Now the expectations are here. So now you are. Will the, never be this now fun you again. are Bama. Now you are Clemson. It will never be this fun again. Um, one thing. Ten and two will never be okay again. No matter how dark things get for LSU fans, I do want to highlight this because this is starting to bear out now. 
Um, did you read Spencer Hall's from Banner Society? Did you read his article on? Uh, I actually have it like a tab on LSU. I haven't read it all yet. Oh, bro, it's so good. It's so good. But he describes LSU as the uh, kind of like the Mongol horde, and that or or any of these old horse archers, if you want to say Attila the Hun, where like a lot of times. Maybe, you know, while there's a lot of raw power there, maybe there's some inner fighting, maybe they lack focus, they don't have that great warlord that's going to unify the clans, and because of that, yeah, they're a threat, and they'll, they'll hit some people, and they'll do some things, but they don't reach their full potential, but that every now and then, if you have that warlord, that Attila, that Genghis Khan character, and they manage to unite the clans, and all of a sudden, what they create becomes terrifying and can take down anybody and now when you look the last three head coaches have won national championships at lsu they join um one other program as the only programs to have three yes yes. jimmy dennis erickson no actually one of them didn't win it because larry coker won one of those natties didn't he i I thought larry coker won did schnellenberger win they might have had five straight Oh, oh, okay, okay. So they had more than three. <laughs> right, Schell- right, oh, right, I know right, Schellenberger, right. Jimmy Johnson, Dennis Erickson okay, won one. Yes. The question and then Coker is, Butch, won his first year, I'm pretty sure. The only sure. question is, did Butch Davis win one? Wait, when is Coker? Is Coker post-Butch Davis? Coker's 0-1, which may be the top one of the best football teams of all time. Yeah, but he did nothing, and he actually ran the program. Okay, it doesn't matter. Point is, yes, uh, they are... Butch did not win one. All right, so yeah. So you had three, so you had three coaches in a, row. in a row win national championships. Um... Out of the six active head coaches right now that have ever won natties, three of them won one at LSU. Uh, to me, it just speaks to kind of an eternal power of the bayou. That, like, there is talent to be had here. There's no major in-state rival. Um, the the brand plays well with people. Like, even no matter how dark things get, I feel like you're always one really good coaching hire away from being that national threat again. And that I think that can give you a little peace of mind if you're an LSU fan taking like a super, super long-term approach to all of this where you wonder how relevant you'll be throughout your lifetime. Like like Nick Saban awoke the slumbering giant, yep. and now there is a clear blueprint for consistent, you know, how to make it happen. And I think other great coaches, whenever you move into a post-Ogeron era, like decades down the road, who knows how long he ends up here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you'll be okay, no matter what. Like long term, this area just is great college football. No, I think you everything you just said was perfectly said, and it's like I think that almost highlights how, in hindsight, the Les Miles last few years were so probably frustrating for people. Yeah, because now you really see how much was there and how close you could have been to all of this. Yeah. And now you're at a point, and now the idea that you like the the horde thing is really good because I think. It's like it's now, so now it's so you good. have an offense. So much, now you've proven this school with so much talent can have an offense. Well, you've been great for 20 years without an offense. <laughs> yeah, so you where know, does it go now? Where does it go going <laughs> forward? And don't get me wrong, they're going to take a big step back next year, and we're gonna, we can talk about all that in a second. But, yeah, we'll dive into that right now. But, yeah, I just think the idea is now you hit it perfectly, that like LSU should, no matter what, always be in the realm of things and and now you also have a really good athletic director you know what i mean like an athletic yeah. director really knows how to kind of pull those strings and really make things happen and i mean the great irony uh in star wars they talk about the tragedy of darth Plagueis the wise it's almost like the shakespearean tragedy of joe oliva right i mean he's the one who hired O. 
He's going to hired Will Wade, who has LSU basketball kicking ass again right now. Beth Tarina, Paul Mandare. I mean, you know, he made these hires which have led to great success, yet it's kind of it's it's a master class in why relationships are so important, yet he still had no actual support. And now it, I guess it's odd that yes, we could sit here and say that you upgraded at athletic director, and yet the guy who got fired hired all these people that are kicking ass all over the school. It's just it's it to me it's it, it's why no matter how much success you have on the field, athletic director is a it is a total job where managing relationships and especially fundraising are just as important as anything else you do. And to your point, Scott Woodward, I mean that's his specialty. Is is raising money and getting people on board. Yeah, so hundred percent. So do we do we transition into the future? Uh yes. Oh wait, actually I had one question for you. Yeah. Just to tie back to the best team ever thing. I was really curious to this. I was thinking about this today. When you think of like just off the top of your head, like when you've always thought of what's the best college football team ever, what team does jump out to you? Uh, there's I mean, no consensus answer on this one. Like football, NFL, you hear about the Nebraska one in the '90s that they they beat the hell out of you know they, I think they won in the championship game like sixty something to twenty something like so they were similar in that regard. Um, obviously, O one Miami, the the NFL talent. I mean, O one Miami winning almost in spite of their head coach. Like the U documentary is so good where they basically <laughs> tell Larry Coger like, Just bro, don't mess it up, man. Stay in your fucking lane. Yeah. Like, let us do what we do. And then you look at what Larry Coger went on to do, and he kind of blew it. I mean, oh, God, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it was the George Seifert. So I guess those are the teams. And then honestly, uh, the team that I was a part of in 2011, from a resume standpoint, uh, if we had finished that out, we would have had one of those. Uh, we would have had one of those special resumes, but uh, you know, obviously, you got to finish that fight. So I guess the Nebraska and the Miami one. Yeah, I think of, and it, I, I ask because yeah, I just don't know what the consensus is there. Like you know, like NBA, you everyone knows it's like the '96 Bulls or maybe the '60 Celtics or yeah, NFL. You kind of know it's the '72 Dolphins or the '07 Pats. You know, yeah, is though NFL's weird. I don't know. Is I it think the '72 Dol? I guess if we're going by your peers, you can only outperform your peers. So sure. Yeah, for, I mean, yeah, I get your point though, but. Like I don't think there is an obvious one for college football because the ones that jumped to my mind were 01 Miami, and this is just my lifetime. I want to clarify that. And 04 USC come to mind. Those are really the ones that yeah. I think of most. I would. I would. The number maybe... one ESPN did a huge 150 all time thing uh, this fall, and number one was 71 Nebraska. Number two was 04 USC. Oh wow. Three was 72 USC, which John Robinson was a coordinator on, I believe. And uh, four was 95 Nebraska. And then 2018 Clemson was five. That was a great team, so I'm okay with that. But yeah, I mean that D line, bro. That D line's an all timer. Top to bottom, perfect yeah, team. Yeah, it's right? an all timer. Yeah. What about uh, which Alabama team? Maybe the one that beat Notre Dame. Did they go undefeated? Did they just beat the shit out of everybody Alabama's this year? Ten on this list. Okay, that's what I was thinking of. <laughs> that's uh, not the one you're thinking of. I don't think. I thought. It, yeah, I think. I think it's the Mark it's Ingram the one, one that beat Texas in the. T- it's the Mark Ingram one. What's the one that beat oh, Texas? Oh, yeah, the but time. they beat the hell out of Texas. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. Well, no, because that was when Garrett Gilbert almost let it come back. Remember, like, uh, Cole McCoy went down, and, Mark- and Garrett Gilbert kind of let it come back. Oh, I thought they won, like, 37-13. I don't know. Either way, LSU's firmly on that It is just funny, that though, number that now. there really aren't any of the Nick Saban teams that, like, are unanimously held up as one of the best ever. Kind of speaks to the process a little bit, though, doesn't it? That yes. like uh, it was so perfect that it became boring. I think is the answer. Yeah, and and it's just he doesn't maybe have to have as lightning of a bottle set yes. up to win a championship. He's finding ways to win them consistently, and that now transitioning is what LSU nailed it is going to look to do. Um, 
So Joe Brady leaving. Let's talk about that. I, I would just preface anything we say with this. Look, uh, let's all be painfully clear. The offense is going to take a step back next year. Um, that is, the reasons are many. It goes way beyond just Joe Brady. Let's say Miles Brennan throws 40 touchdowns next year. That's 20 less than what you saw out of Joe Burrow, right? Like, and 40 is a great number. Yeah. Oh my God. 40 is awesome. And it's still 20 less. It's a full 33, 50. How does stats work? Is that a 50% less since 20, like, since 20 is half of 40? Or is it thirty three percent less? Thirty three percent less. Good question. But but what? But no. But if I'm coming from the Brennan perspective, uh, Burrow would have thrown fifty percent more. Of to, what he threw, yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. Either way, you get the point, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so you're losing Burrow. Going to take a step back there. Um, you're losing four starting offensive linemen. Going to take a step back there. Uh, you're losing a receiver, Justin Jefferson, who put up crazy freaking stats, and you're losing Joe Brady. So. And, who, and now clear. Dave Aranda is like legitimately in the final, you know, group to be the Baylor head coach. Well, yeah, but I'm 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 talking just offensive. Oh, sorry, sorry, I'm talking just about the Blacked offensive step back. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking We're, about just about the offensive kids. step back. <laughs> um, <laughs> what? Um, so, with that said, how do you think they? I guess what was your reaction to the Brady news? And how do you think they? Where do they go? Where do they go from here for offense? Reaction before? was. It's tricky because I think a week ago I actually did think he was staying. I think LSU actually felt decent about it. I think that, that a lot of people were like, NFL's interest. He wants to be in the NFL eventually, but they thought they'd have him for another year out of loyalty, out of the fact that LSU can probably pay more than an NFL. So I, I thought that. So did they know a potential job offer was on the horizon? I just figured. I didn't think it was a loyalty thing. I just figured that they thought that nobody was going to offer him an actual well, NFL I think, coordinator job. I think job. multiple people offered, reached out. Oh, for an NFL coordinator job? I'm not. I don't want to quote. I'm not on the record. I have no idea. But I thought a few did. Okay. Uh, so, so you think that he maybe turned down some things? Maybe. I don't know that. Uh, maybe, I, maybe take away grain of salt, people. We're not everybody. Yeah. Chill. We're not. Nobody's <laughs> holding. Nobody hold Brody. We're an hour feet fifteen in, so I think we're safe. Yeah. Nobody uh, hold Brody's feet to the fire on this. We're just a po- couple of hold guys. Hold that podcast after dark. We're, once you once we're past the hour mark, I think we could say whatever we yeah, want. Yeah, we're just we're just a couple of guys. And chatting to the Bengals. That's what I'm hearing. Uh, <laughs> just chatting about a little football. <laughs> that would be the ultimate. I wish we had some booze right now. Um, I know that would. Be I'm the, in off season mode, man. That would be the ultimate uh, development. If Ed Ogeron went to be an NFL head coach and just peaced out on Louisiana after all, like after all the talk, he just pulls the ultimate like uh, it would just be a lot of him just like not understanding how free agency works because he's used to recruiting (laughs) and it's just a lot of just like like why are you an in home visit right now, man? I signed like just yesterday. (laughs) Yeah, you drafted me. You don't. I mean, you don't have to be here. Um, Um, Anyway, so I'm not surprised because okay, it's not been a secret since the day Joe Brady got here. From people talking to anyone close to him, you talked to even him. NFL is where he wanted to be long term. I mean, he was psyched to be at OSU. That's not a, that. This is not like. Yeah. I feel like now you get in this thing of it sounds like you're saying, oh, Hell yeah, Joe Brady did like college. You know? he, he went from making shitty GA money to like four hundred grand. Of yeah, course, he was course, psyched yeah. to be at LSU. <laughs> yeah, like he, he like he loved it here. I do not want to like. There's this whole thing where he gets tricky there, but. Yeah, he always wanted to be in the NFL long term. I think his dream is to be an NFL head. Just coach give one him day. the Andy Staples quote. Just give him the Andy Staples quote. And it was that like you put in your article because that I mean that says it all, <laughs> right there. Uh, you can paraphrase. You don't have to nail it. Yeah, but it was just like yeah, like I think it's like I think it was on the lines of like sometimes we underestimate how if you're making the same money and doing the same job, how much better it is to choose a job where you don't have to talk to 16 year olds on the phone for four hours a day. Yeah, it's like <laughs> come on, who can who could not understand that allure, right? You're going to be doing essentially the you same don't thing. Let's just go simple. Except yeah. you don't have to talk to high school kids who are the scum of the earth. <laughs> you don't have to talk to high school kids for four hours a day. It's easy. It's easy. 
And it's literally for him where he's like he's a football nerd. That's all he wants to do is be scheming and scouting and watching and planning. I mean, his first public appearance he ever made at LSU was at the LSU Coaches Clinic this spring. And the first thing he said was, I don't have a wife and kids. I'm all ball. Like, yeah. And I think that's really where you have to start here of just the sense of, he doesn't want to do anything else. He just wants to. He's like Dave Aranda in that sense, and Dave Aranda's not that different. Dave Aranda's in love recruiting, but yeah, I think he likes the college game overall. But like, yeah, I just want to be in a room watching football. And you know, I remember I, I even wrote my story. It's like I remember running into him at Superior Grill one time, and he was just exhausted. He had just gotten back from a long road trip along the East Coast recruiting. There was a scheduling mix-up where the, they sent him to a school to scout a player and or evaluate a player, and the guy was not even practicing that day. Mm. And just so much like recruiting bullshit and all this stuff. And one, I talked to one recruiting staffer when this all came out, and he said he's like, yeah, it's he didn't like the active nature of recruiting. He's like he was always ranking the board. I don't understand who does. Ed Ogeron I, does. I know. Ed Ogeron loves no, it. I know, but I don't. He lives I, for I'm it. saying I physically, mentally cannot wrap my <laughs> yeah. head around enjoying that stuff. And this person said he's like he was always ranking the board. He was always watching the film. Like he liked parts of it. Yes. He just didn't enjoy the communication, all the teenager bullshit, and. That's the end of the day. Teen bullshit. I mean, that's it. That's really that's it. it. I, you can't blame him. So he's 30 years old. His dream is even aside from the recruiting part. He's always wanted to be in the NFL. And also, so when I go back and to And they the, paid him. And they and uh, so that's why it was I th- I wonder and I you'd have to ask him this or his agent this. Was he always going to leave for something or was this just the perfect spot to take where it was it wasn't just going to the NFL. It was going to the NFL for a guy like Matt Rule that everybody seems to want to work for, and yeah. he's another college guy. And everybody speaks so highly <laughs> of Matt Rule. He's just apparently like guy, yeah. he's just like the best guy ever. And it's the one college team where it's, you know, it's shoot, I just messed up. Uh, one NFL team? Are you sorry, talking about Cam? Where you going? Where you going down like a Cam Newton line? Line no, of thinking? It's there? the one NFL team where you have an owner that would actually pay more than a college team. Like David Tepper was. I mean, he might be making. I don't think it's been. Yes. Oh, but I've heard I don't like think two million. Yeah, I, 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 I feel like I've heard similar whispers that it might be around two million. Um. Yeah. So, I don't even think LSU was going to pay that, and LSU was going to pay more than anybody. So, yeah, I just think I wonder if it was the perfect situation. So then you go to all these things. I just wonder, but then where do you go from here, right? And this is the really interesting one, because Steve Ensminger, as much as we all know, like Joe Brady was basically an offensive coordinator on this team, right? <laughs> Steve Ensminger is still the offensive coordinator. Like you're replacing a pass game coordinator, not replacing an offensive coordinator. But that's where you really will get the answer from O about how he feels about Steve Ensminger. Does he just is Steve Ensminger still the guy there? And now he has the updated offense to go with it. Yeah. And all this. And now like you actually go forward and you just replace the passing game coordinator thing. Or do you actually go and get another co-OC, which Brady was about to be. We all know that. Like, do you actually do that again? I don't know because the, the name everyone's kind of jumping to is LSU analyst George Munoz. Which he would fit in the first slot, right? He would be, that would be like... He'd be a perfect passing game coordinator. Yes, like we're keeping the status the quo, coach. we're going to trust in Steve and what and what Brady taught us, and we're going to use those core concepts versus bringing in a whole new offense and kind of adjusting things again. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, I just think... And people speak very highly of Munoz. People rave about Munoz. I mean, he was... Joe Burrow invited him to the Heisman ceremony. Like, yeah. analysts do not get invited to that. Everybody in that program will tell you I know it's tricky because you're an analyst. There are certain things you can and can't do with players, but everybody really knows he was the quarterback coach. Like he, Jimmy Burrow, I, when I was doing the story on how did he develop and all these things, how did this turnaround happen? He's like, everyone was talking about Brady, all these things. It's like George Munoz and Steve Ensminger helped him develop so much just as a literal quarterback. I, the more I talk about it, dude, that's what I want them to do. I, I don't want them, like I heard rumors about like Joe Moorhead for a second. Like, <laughs> yeah. 
Well, first off, Will I Hall think would be a really good. Morehead stock is odd right now, but, but still, I mean, I still think Joe Morehead's a great offense coordinator. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm not saying he's not. He's in, he's a great offensive mind, obviously. Um, I guess I'm just more like I really loved this offense, and so do you want to? Yeah. Do you want to change these core concepts to bring in somebody new that's going to have their own system? And yeah, they you can you can work things in, and there could be similarities, but like. Maybe see how far you can go with this thing. I, it, 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 and 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 why you know if you're trying to develop Miles Brennan, do you want to arrest his development? Like this is the offense that he has been studying, and he looked good in it when he got to play this year. He looked pretty good. He looked strong in the end. Um, or I guess he just looked really good last time we saw him against Georgia. Yeah. Um, yeah. I. I, I, so I, 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 I almost wonder though. Do you kind of? It's like, but you don't want to be stagnant, right? So you want to, and I'm, maybe we're being rude on Steve Ensminger. Maybe he can keep evolving, but like, it's kind of a young guy's, young person's thing in football to kind of like, you know, keep modernizing, keep being with the trends. Like, do you want to get another kind of schematic mind in there to be pass game coordinator to so kind of keep pushing you forward? Can you do that though, just by hiring a great young analyst? Yeah, right? it's like, not, right? Yeah, like, it's not that simple. Like, if yeah. you have, well, I'm saying like, if you have the, uh, yeah, you, it's kind of like you did this year. You have the play calling experience and acumen of Steve Insminger, and maybe you just like keep updating Steve with new, uh, with new programs and systems, like almost like a computer, where it's just like you just like you just got to install this new thing and then allow the uh, allow the AI to take over, allow allow him to use the new thing as best he sees fit. That's really possible because I do think we get in this thing of like now the whole storyline. This is just a different example, but like now everyone's like, well, is the is the blueprint for hiring a great head coach hiring a a guy who's just like an like a a CEO who recruits, you know, like that's now the thing because Dabo and because Dabo and Ed, there's yeah. no blueprint for any of this. You just hire the best person. Yeah, it's, you, you, it's very situational. So you do not go find another Joe Brady because that is such a ridiculously rare, holy crap, luck is involved kind of thing. Well, okay, so I don't know if you go. Well, I I don't think so you, I'm never you can't just go hire... find another young guy. Be like, oh, be our new Joe Brady. That's not. Well, so I don't think you can ever expect him to be Joe Brady. I'm not saying you say that. No, but... no, I don't think. But but I do think that if you did want to go the Munoz route and you're worried about staying up to date, I mean, it's the same way Sean Payton hired Joe Brady, you can go find a young, uh, good, like a young analyst mind that maybe think, okay, maybe there's something there. And maybe, it, I, I don't think it'll ever hit like Joe Brady hit yeah. again. Like, I'm, I'm not saying that will ever be the case, but this idea, I, I think there are pathways now that you can build up these shadow stabs to these ridiculous degrees. There are pathways to staying relevant when it comes to kind of modern football scheme, I guess is what I'm saying. My only counter to that is like, it's this thing where it's like, that's not replicable. Like, it's not like, if anybody's such a smart, young, schematic mind, they're not like, you can't just like pick them up to be an analyst. I see, what, I get your overall point, but it's not like you can be like, this 25-year-old out of, you know, William & Mary is going to be, you know, he's a really smart schematic mind. Like, we should make him our analyst. You know, like, that doesn't exist because if he was that smart, if you knew he, if you knew this young guy is that smart, he's not available to be an LSU analyst. That is interesting, though, because that is literally the exact Joe Brady story. But almost. that is such a, that was a specific scenario. Pete Carmichael brought this guy along for a meeting, and he just happened to be really sharp. Yeah, and he like, blew him away. Yeah, that is things falling into your lap. That is mm. not replicable. Mm. Maybe it happens again, and that's where the great ones are. I mean, I guess like it's just finding those people. That's a skill. Trying to find and maybe talent. O, maybe that's a skill of Ed Ogeron's because he's on a hot streak right now of finding coaches. So yeah, but it, then you know there also was. Well, I don't even know if I'd hold Matt Cannon against because that wasn't really his <laughs> that hire. hire. That was yeah. a. 
It was a required hire. Um, Matt Cannon was a good offensive coordinator. Like that's historically, fair. I mean, that's fair. You can't. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, anyway, that was a really long thing, but yeah, I think you. Look no, at, but I mean, these are the questions. I think Will that, Hall look, would be a good one to look at. These are the natural questions that arise when you have a record-setting offense, and then the Broyles Award winner leaves, and what? And and it kind of it touches on all, all LSU fans' greatest fears and anxieties, <laughs> which is that. This was a flash in the pan, and you won't get. I'm not saying you're ever going to get back to this level, but that you won't be a consistently good offense. Uh, I, I think they will. I, I actually. Oh, I think they'll be fine. I think so. I, th- I think I, they, they will never be this again. They will be. Here's here's the thing. I keep saying it's like LSU has been back half of the SEC for off and on for about eight years, maybe longer. I don't know. <laughs> like that's been the trend for a while. Yeah. So if you can even go back to being like fourth in the SEC consistently, that's still better than you've been forever. You just can't make your standard being the number one offense in the country. I don't know why I'm splitting hairs here, but four sounds like too low. Like I feel like you gotta be like top three in the SEC at this point or something or it's not gonna be acceptable to fans. I know, it's unfortunate. But so let's let's quickly go down the list of what's coming back next year. Well okay, okay, okay. Here here's we can do this real quickly, a little on air programming here. I do have to go and like Five minutes. Do we want to do this now? No. Do we want to wait till next episode when we have the full picture of who's leaving and who's staying to break it down? That's fine. And I'm, my only thing is I'm gonna have a post up sometime this afternoon of basically what we're gonna talk about. Oh, okay. But anyway, oh, uh, we can break it down next show. That's fine. a little tease. All right. Um, yeah, because look, there are a lot of juniors that are leaving, and well, it makes sense because if you're comfortable, like the uh, at this point, if you're a draft eligible junior, the only question you have to ask yourself is, am I comfortable with my draft projection? Because you have nothing left to accomplish on the college level, and then you throw in like family, financials, things like that. That's always a factor, you know. When when a mm. guy like you know, you're like, why are you yes. going to be a fourth rounder? Well, maybe well, and, that, that, and so and that's kind of yeah, is a lot yeah. To me, that's that's kind of inherent to am I cool with my draft progression? Really means am I cool with where that contract value is slotted at? And it's also do I feel comfortable if I am a fifth round pick that I will make the team because there's a huge difference That's a really good point there's a huge difference security wise job security wise from being a second round pick and a fifth round pick if push comes to shove and all else is equal they're going to keep the second round guy yes. if, if you're the fifth round guy you are you can be cut but you know sometimes guys bet on themselves and uh, they get that money and then they get that second contract and then they're good to go and hey same way we said, don't underestimate the allure of one doing the same job and not talking to high schoolers all day. How about doing the same job, only you don't have any school and you make shit tons of money yeah. doing it? Right? That's true. <laughs> and there, because, okay, there are basically three questionable people who left, right? Patrick Queen, who I think was like, you know, he's somebody who really was not even a starter the whole season. Finished really hot, and I think we'll do very well at the combine. I was just going to say, I think teams are going to fall in love with his speed. Because sometimes you just need one trait, really. Yes, right? you need, exactly. Like, one Especially thing. modern NFL linebackers, speed is all they want. And you know he's a really smart guy, and he's actually like a really good kid. I think he'll be fine, and I think he'll actually do better than what his like initial you know draft grade was when he when he got back. That's, yeah. And then Sadiq Charles, that one's tough because I don't think he's going to go that high. But you go back to you know he's a Katrina transplant and moved to Jackson, Mississippi. I, I I don't know everything about his family situation, but I'd imagine. And also he's somebody with discipline issues. He's That's been, what I was say. He also has to deal with all the suspension crap. He's suspended for a total of ten games in his LSU career. And I don't know how PFF uh, did Great this. Suspensions? Yeah, it's a tricky no, one. No, <laughs> exactly. No, I don't know how PFF did this because I thought I saw one play where maybe it was like an MA. Whatever. Uh, according to PFF, he gave up zero uh, pressures. 
in the national yeah, championship. The line's tough, yeah. Which, uh, which, uh, no, 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 it gets a bad rap. Amazing work. Let's but. be clear. At least they're doing something. Oh, Nobody oh else God, is yes. doing anything. Yes. At least they're doing something. The point is, on the whole, he played a damn good game and against a very good defense in that national championship. So. He, and he's, he, he's, he's a, a guard. That I'm he's a guard. About, he's a guy that I'm kind of talking about betting on himself. Like he's betting that look, yeah, I, you know what? Some money is better than no money. Like, yeah. could he make himself into a higher draft pick? Sure, but you know what else he could do? He could go ahead and start to get paid, make a team, and start to even work towards that second contract. That's a good point. Also, he's a guard. You think so? Is that what people say? I mean, he's not that. He doesn't have that long. He's not that tall. Not that big. Like, he, I thought he's like six seven. Is he not? No, he is not. I mean, he's six, not five? short. I'm not like making it sound like that, but like. I mean, he's really athletic and all that, and I think he has so many great tools. I think he's a guard. He's 6'4", 295. Okay, yeah. I mean, playing tackle in the NFL is... I think he'd be a fantastic guard. Right behind cornerback in terms of toughest positions physically, so... Yeah, so I... And then the other one is Lloyd Cushenberry, because that's one where... He's, he's one of the top centers, no doubt. I think he might be the number one center in this draft, but centers don't go first round. They don't even always go second round. So it's like... So then that would kind of speak, though. If, if he is the top center in the draft, then go. Because, because you're not gonna, they're not gonna like you said. It's the cutting thing. You're you're like, positionally held back. Even if you're a late second rounder, yeah, that's different because they're not gonna cut you. So yeah, I agree. I, and no one in that program of all those three people we just mentioned, nobody's ever gonna give Lloyd Cushenberry shit because he's somebody who's one of the most respected yeah. like people in that program. And then and then like we said, man, I mean, you just put together. You were just on. You just had the greatest resume season of all time. Like. <laughs> It doesn't feel like you have a lot left to accomplish on the college level. What are you smiling about? Over there? Did we show. get breaking news? Oh, yeah, I'll tell you after the show. All right. Uh, with that, we do have to wrap up, though. I have to go. I'm sorry, y'all. I got to get home we so my wife can half, get to good. the dentist. Uh, we'll be back next week with another Hold That Podcast podcast. Uh, T-Bob Baby reminding you to eat at A Bear Specialty Meats uh, in Bocage or in Prairieville. I'm Fucking I to do it for getting once. there. You always do it for me. I want to do it my bed. I'm going to see her. I'll say uh, thank you, Brody Miller. It's been a good year, man. I already did it. No, we were both talking the same. Okay, we're running back. What's happening uh, here? Uh, T. Bob A. Bear uh, asking you to you know go to A. Bear Specialty Meats, uh, but either in Prairieville or in Barcage, and 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 thank you, Brody Miller. God damn it, I hate you so much. Subscribe to the Athletic. I actually don't know what you wanted me to I do I wanted there, you to be like, But oh, I was you, also enjoying messing I, I with wanted, you. But. I wanted you to be like, oh, you, you know what, you're welcome. Oh, and, and while I'm at it, subscribe to the Athletic. Uh, it's a great site. You yeah, know, it's great. Uh, yeah. uh, blah, blah, blah. You really should, though. I, I love it. <laughs> hey, man. Um, we did it. We season. 15 and 0. It's been a good year. From a beer especially meets the, the original pie. lunch that made that That's whole really that podcast podcast. there, man. Here we are. Really good po' boy. Wow. All right. Uh, We'll see you next week. Like we said, we'll talk about who's staying, who's going, and what it means. Uh, Y'all have a great day. We'll see you then.